Hello, this is the Missionary District with uh, Amos Martell and Tyler Wall. And this is number five in our series on secularism. And this one we're tackling the light topic, <laughs> medical assistance in dying. That's right, yeah. Made. Made, yeah. I wasn't sure actually if uh, uh, people actually said made or if it's just an acronym in writing because most, uh, most of the news I consume on these things is in written form. Yeah. And uh, so I wasn't sure. Can we say made or do we have to say medical assistance in dying the whole time? I wasn't totally sure on that. Uh, you just said it. So that gave me confidence. Right. Yeah. We're going to say made. It's <laughs> M-A-I-D though. Um, I don't think there's anything you're going to talk about where you're going to be talking about like a maid who cleans a house or anything like that. No, there won't be any house cleaning. Okay. Uh, then I think we'll, we're, we'll, I think we'll we're avoid safe. those analogies, I suppose, in this one. <laughs> now that we've <laughs> if seated. If we can. <laughs> yeah, now that we've seeded my subconscious with that, I'm, that's probably where all my analogies are going to come from. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, so what what is it, first sure. of all? Okay, so, I mean, so far in our secularism discussions, we have been trying to uncover some of the beliefs that are sort of latent in the public sphere of secular society, so that we can start to observe them and interact with them and maybe see how they have already been affecting us and our lives. And uh, mostly we've been focusing on these large-scale uh, metaphysical beliefs. And we've been discovering that uh, the metaphysics of secularism is almost completely flat, that, that things really only exist in one way. And so there's no room for transcendence. There's no room for eternity or anything that would be analogous to it. There's no room for mystery. There's no room for the coming together uh, of heaven and earth and, and things like that. Yeah. And, and honestly, to be fair, atheists would actually say that's a good thing. Right. That, they're, that it's just flat because that's reality. They would say that's reality. So why are yeah. we imposing other things into this? Yeah, anyway, go on. it's too bad, but those are the facts that we have, and we can't believe anything beyond that. Yeah, exactly. Of, yeah. Uh, so today we kind of want to jump into a more practical question and talk about medical assistance in dying. And the connection might not be immediately obvious uh, to all of our listeners, but I think having a basic understanding of the secular worldview can really help us to understand why people are coming to such different conclusions about this and why this issue might be confusing for people and why even Christians sometimes aren't sure uh, what to think about this. I saw an article recently about a church that had done what they called a crossing over ceremony hmm. in their sanctuary. And so like wow. right in the sanctuary of their church. So essentially they had turned assisted suicide into a ritual and uh, a ritual that was approved by the church. And this is just uh, shockingly terrible. Yeah, like, that, that's, that, is, that is shocking. And, you know, it makes me think like it's shocking right now, but how many things that were shocking 40 years ago are no longer shocking? Right. It just, it just shows how, how slippery that slope is of, of uh, just following a culture and moving along with the culture. Right. And not really being anchored as much as we should be. And I hope this is always shocking. Yeah. To be perfectly honest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So just to 
make sure, I guess, that we all understand what we're talking about. Uh, Medical Assistance in Dying, or MAID, uh, as you helpfully pointed out, the acronym MAID, uh, is really exactly what it sounds like. So a patient requests death, uh, and if it is approved, so there are in Canada still some checks on that. You can't just walk into a hospital and ask a physician to perform this on you. Thank goodness. Uh, Yeah, thank goodness. But if it's approved, the physician uh, will either administer an overdose of some drug, uh, and we would call that euthanasia, or in some cases, the physician provides the drug, and then the patient administers it themselves, and that would just be assisted suicide. So there's Mm -hmm. some differentiation between euthanasia and assisted suicide, depending on who's actually administering uh, the, the final dose. Right. Um, and I just want to be, this is probably clear already and in, in even in just what we've talked about, but just to be very clear from the outset of this, uh, medical assistance in dying is morally wrong. Like we are fully prepared to take uh, a stand on that. Intentionally killing another human being or yourself is just an overt violation of the commands of God in mm-hmm. scripture and even in natural law, in the law which is written on the hearts of men. And I assume that's what we're going to talk about today, is is parts of the reason why it's morally wrong. Yeah, yeah. We're not going to go too much into, like, the how of it or the legislation or things like that, uh, but really talk about uh, why it's wrong and why people would believe it or perform it from a secular perspective and a Christian perspective, uh, sort of... Juxtaposing those yeah, two. Yeah, looking at those two things. together. Okay, great. Uh, I think it's important, too, um, for us to clarify that when we're talking about medical assistance in dying, we're not talking about uh, what we sort of colloquially refer to as pulling the plug. Right. And so it it is perfectly acceptable and moral, morally licit to um, refuse medical treatment. And I know that that line can seem a little bit murky sometimes. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things that causes confusion. Uh, But I think probably the best way to just think about it is whether the person dies by natural means or by artificial means. You know, if we remove life support, the person dies, but they're dying by natural causes. We've stopped preventing their death, but Mm -hmm. we haven't caused their death. They're still dying by natural causes. Whereas in assisted suicide, we're doing something to cause a premature, unnatural death. Right. And so to oppose medical assistance in dying is not to force medical treatment on people. And it's not to suggest that we are morally responsible to keep people alive through artificial methods, as if, you know, you're sinning if you don't stay on life support indefinitely or something like that. Uh, We're not saying that at all. We're just saying uh, we're advocating for the preservation of death as a natural end to life. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense to me. Absolutely. Yeah, the the function of uh, stepping back and allowing natural, the natural course of human life to, to occur. Another thing would be like, uh, I know there's the do not resuscitate. Right. You can, you can sign. Yeah. And it's just to kind of like, just allow nature to take its course. Yeah. And uh, I'm not going to speed it along, but we'll right. allow it to happen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, and I think it makes theological sense too, because for a Christian, really death is our enemy. Death mm. is a result of the fall of man in the scriptures. And so it is part of the curse that is known to us. 
And so if we then embrace death, we are, in a sense, we're embracing the curse. We are rejecting the gift of life that's been breathed into us by our Creator. And so in some sense, we're, we're returning to the sin of Adam. Mm-hmm. And when we look at the resurrection of Jesus, we see a conquering of death. Our enemy has been defeated in the cross and made to be subservient to the King of Kings. And so where once death was allowed to reign, it is Jesus who now holds all the power of life and death. And so to pursue a premature death also displays a fundamental lack of trust in Jesus. When, when we cry out to him to put an end to our suffering, we must believe that he hears us and that he will allow death to come in his time. Mm-hmm. I really believe that uh, in certain circumstances, death can be a very gracious and compassionate gift. Mm-hmm but it is a gift that can only properly be given by God. And so when we take that into our own hands, then then we've crossed a line that makes it uh, morally wrong. Right, yeah. And, you know, interestingly, there's... Um, I hear this argument a lot. I've never heard it, like, face-to-face with somebody, but I read about it a lot, I guess. Is uh, And it's usually in the States, because I don't, we don't have it in Canada, but the death penalty. Yeah. And, there, and a lot of people will retort to the, the people that are against medically assisted dying. What about the death penalty? You know, you, you, you adhere to the death penalty, but you don't adhere to this and that you're hypocritical. And I'm like, I don't think I've ever heard of anybody who is against, <laughs> against MAID who is also all for like, yeah, you know, rah, rah, <laughs> we, we want the death penalty. I think there, there, there's a gray area there too. But anyway, it doesn't really apply to us in Canada because we don't have a death penalty. And I'm, I, and I'm against the death penalty, yeah. just so we can be clear about that. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think based on your statements earlier, you are as well. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of the death penalty, certainly. Anyway. Um, yeah, there are a lot of interesting uh, interconnected uh, conversations. I think a lot of times when those conversations are happening, they tend to be uh, just sort of distractions or red herrings, we might call them, yes. from from what's really happening. Because, you know, you're trying to have a conversation about physician-assisted suicide, uh, which is, I think that's what they call it in the United States. Yeah. And instead of actually addressing the issue and dealing with the questions that you're raising, you know, well, what about the death penalty? What about this? Yeah. What about that? And it's just a diversion so that you don't actually have to tackle the topic right in yeah. front of you. Stay focused. Right. <laughs> is, 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 the, <laughs> is the moral there? We'll, we'll try to heed that advice well, too. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Uh, sometimes rabbit trail are fun. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, let's, let's, <laughs> let's move on. So I think um, a lot of times uh, when you get into these conversations, it seems to me that they can spin off pretty easily into a conversation about politics or about legislation or something like that. Um, as I said before, I don't think we really want to get into uh, the nuances of the law around this stuff. Uh, we're more trying to get a broad scale picture of medical assistance in dying and ask the why questions um, from both a Christian perspective and a secular perspective. Right. And so when I think about it that way, uh, it seems to me that there's, there's probably three questions at least that I would want to address and that is, you know, first of all, what is the inherent worth, value, 
or dignity of a human being? Second, are there fundamental limits to our freedom to exercise authority, even over ourselves? And third, how do we understand and relate to suffering? And so I think what I, I'd like to do is look at each of those things, first from the Christian perspective, to sort of give us uh, a base from which uh, to talk about, and then to look at them from the secular point of view. And I think that will bring up some of the points of tension or confusion that might exist between the two. Does that seem okay? Yeah, so there's like three things that we'll discuss, each from the Christian point of view and the secular point of view. Right. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So first what is the inherent worth, value, or dignity of a human being? Uh, you and I have talked before about God as the ground of all being. Uh, when Moses asks God his name, for example, God just says, I am who I am. Mm -hmm. And we're like, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> but one, one of the things that it, it seems to mean is that God is existence itself. Like, like he's the thing uh, in which all of our existence uh, co-inheres or something like that. We participate in his being mm -hmm. and that's what gives us our being or something like that. Um, or, you know, we hear maybe a similar concept in Acts chapter 17 when Paul is preaching and he says, in him we live and move and have our being. And so we get this idea in the scriptures that God is both the source and the telos or the end of all created things. Our existence is a gift that is given to us by God. We are dependent on him. We are contingent beings. So he is our source, but also we're meant to be moving towards him. He's our, he's our telos. He's our goal. We're, we're the most alive. We're the most human even when we are oriented towards God and giving glory to him. And so when we talk about value, it seems to me that the value of any created thing is not really intrinsic to itself, but it has to be rooted in something that lies beyond. Mm -hmm. So the value of a two by four, for example, doesn't inhere in its specific composition, but in how it is designed and utilized. It's not even the dimensions or the type of wood that make it valuable. It's that we make them all the same way. And so mm -hmm. we can, you know, we can utilize them in the same way. So we could say uh, that, that the telos of a two by four is maybe to provide support and structure or something. And then we could ask, does it do the thing that it was made to do? And we can judge if it's a good two by four or a bad two by four mm -hmm. by how well it participates in its telos. If it's too short to actually bear any weight or if it's twisted and difficult to work with, then, then we might say that it's moving away from its telos. It's not going to have a very fulfilling life. We're probably just going to cut it up and burn it or something like that. And maybe that analogy works a little bit too well. <laughs> but uh, in, in a similar way, human beings are made in the image of God and designed to worship him, to glorify him, and to reflect something of his goodness and character back to creation. And so our value is not found in ourselves, but is rooted in God and in his design for us. It lies beyond. Value has to be given. Right, Any value that is just self-assigned or self-referential at the end of the day is going to be very arbitrary. Mm -hmm. And so it has to come from some external agent. From the Christian perspective, human beings have value simply because we are made in the image of God. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. We look beyond ourselves to the source and the telos of creation. Yeah, I, I like to use uh, an analogy of an artist. So like Michelangelo, you know, there's a certain amount of, yeah, what he did was revolutionary and his art is great, but it's Michelangelo himself, the name that's attached to his art, because somebody can replicate his art, Yeah. but the name that's attached to it is what gives that piece of art value. And then you like years later after he's died, uh, a piece of art, like his sketchbook comes up for auction and it's just a sketchbook. He threw it away. He thought it was worthless, <laughs> right? But everybody places value on it because of who had has created it. It's It shows who Michelangelo was. It, it, and of course, Michelangelo probably didn't throw it away. But, you know, he didn't he didn't put it up for auction anyway. Yeah. He kept it reserved for himself. Yeah. And I always think that we're we're the art of God. And he's like, oh, no, your value is placed in because of who made you. Right. And and I like to use that analogy. And I like your analogy, too, because yours is kind of like this working and the, the physical uh, attributes. Right. Whereas the art is kind of like it's just the beauty of it. Yeah. And who created it is what gives it value. And Yeah, I like that analogy of an artist as well. Yeah, it really yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, so the second thing uh, that I wanted to hit here is are there limits to our authority over creation? Mm -hmm. So as God's image bearers in the world, we have been given dominion over creation. So how far does that dominion extend, right? We're tasked with caring for and stewarding the world and its creatures. So in a sense, what God is to us, we are to other creatures, though we didn't create them, obviously, but we do have power over them and we can exercise liberty when it comes to how we treat them. But I think it seems clear to me anyways that this sort of analogical relationship only extends so far because our authority over creation is not an ultimate authority. It's derivative. It's mm -hmm. it's it's derived from God. It's given by God and rooted in God. And we're we're just extensions of his authority. Whatever dominion we have over creation does not extend to other human beings or even over ourselves when it comes to matters of life and death. The sixth commandment tells us very explicitly, you shall not kill. And so we don't get to decide when the gift of life returns to the Lord who gave it. And the scriptures are full of laws and admonitions about how we ought to treat one another. God actually cares about this stuff. And so again, what we find is that we are looking beyond humanity itself for moral grounding. We're mm -hmm. looking for uh, another authority. We're looking to another authority, a higher authority for those things. And I think we see a similar thing when it comes to suffering, uh, that, that we're looking beyond the suffering itself, that we're looking to something greater. Most people that are seeking medical assistance in dying are facing extreme amounts of suffering. Mm -hmm. And we really don't want to trivialize that or to minimize it. And I think we, we don't want to pretend that we even have satisfying answers for why that happens. One of the things that personally I dislike about a lot of modern apologetics is that it seems to present as having, you know, a clean, rational, complete answer for everything uh, which is actually a very secular starting point. And, and, and sometimes that's helpful, but it's rarely compelling, I think. And of course, 
we can think through the problem of evil and we can try to make sense of it. And that's that's probably good for us to do, but it doesn't do anything for the person that's actually experiencing suffering. Yeah, it's right. It's, it's all mental. It's there's no heart. So it's it's coming at it from this truth standpoint or justice standpoint, but then it's like completely missing the the heart and the softness of of our God. Yeah, it just it doesn't seem to help where we really need it to help the most, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, you can sit down and talk about, well, God wanted to create a universe with free will so that he could have truly loving beings. And in order to do that, uh, suffering, the potential for suffering uh, had to be a part of that and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. That doesn't help somebody who's experiencing who's suffering. suffering. Exactly. Like, yeah. who cares? It's, it's, I'm in pain. It right? may be truth. Yeah. And it may be, it may be uh, the reality, but it's... it's uh, yeah, when you're going through it, it's the least comforting thing to yeah. hear. And it doesn't do anything to help you in that yeah, situation no. either. And I think what I see in the Psalms and throughout Scripture is not just this rationalization of it, uh, but a simple affirmation that suffering is meaningful. Mm-hmm. And so it's not necessarily trying to explain it or trying to give answers to it, but it's saying this is a deeply meaningful thing. It's not without purpose. Even if we don't understand what that purpose is, it is oriented, again, to something that's beyond itself. And by manifesting so acutely in the world, I think it paradoxically looks ahead and points us to the eschatological kingdom of Jesus when suffering will be no more, when when tears will be no more. And I think you really do hear this coming out of Christians all the time. Like, when things get really bad— the prayer is always, come, Lord Jesus. Mm-hmm. How long, O Lord? Let your kingdom come. Like, suffering helps us in our movement towards the Lord, towards the telos of creation, and not only for the person themselves, but for everyone around them. We hope and we pray for the end of suffering. We want to see an end to suffering in their life and also through all of creation. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it. Have you ever had kidney stones? I haven't, no. No, yeah, so I had one. And my goodness, I was praying that, oh, Jesus, come. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right, it absolutely made me, like, cry out and just be like, oh, I just, please help me. Yeah. And, you know, it absolutely made me, it drew me towards the Lord 100%. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Not that it lasted that long, but it's still, you know. Yeah. And it makes you. Yeah, it brings you to prayer. Yeah. And I think I would also say that that suffering can be meaningful because it allows us to participate in the sufferings of Christ, which actually work to bring about salvation in the world. Right? We know Christ's suffering is redemptive, it is restorative, it is salvific. And I mean, we talked about miracles last time. Sometimes the Lord will heal mm-hmm. as a sign of the coming kingdom, but often our suffering is an invitation to share in his suffering for the sake of the world. And the Lord really seems to draw near to people who are vulnerable and experiencing pain. Suffering is a very precious thing. There's something sacred about suffering, something that's holy about it. But again, the value of it isn't found in the thing itself. Mm -mm. It's valuable 
because it connects us to Christ. It, it manifests the presence of Jesus in our midst, and it instills in us a biblical hope for his coming kingdom. It, it looks beyond itself and perhaps even works together with Christ for the salvation of the world. Yeah, it's like uh, it's a road unto Jesus. Suffering may draw us closer to Christ, but we don't celebrate the suffering. We celebrate Christ and the invitation to join with him. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, I mean, anything that causes us to come closer to Christ can be worth celebrating. Yeah. We don't necessarily appreciate and celebrate the road, but that's a good thing that that road is there, right? Yeah, uh, yeah absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, there's times where I've, I've been like, well, if it wasn't for this thing that I suffered through, yeah. I wouldn't have grown the way I grew in Christ. Right. And, of course, Christ is the, is the celebration, but I'm just like, well, thankfully, he put that thing yeah. Or if, you know, that thing happened, not to say that he put it there, but yeah. that thing happened and it was used. Well, and it's amazing a, that he can use something that seems so bad and redeem it and turn right? it around yeah. for something good. And yeah. 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 And I hear so many stories about that. And I'm always like, oh man, I don't know if I could go through that. <laughs> 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 and, uh, but the fruit of it, of the people that I've heard, it's just like, well, that's fantastic. Right. Uh, yeah. Okay, so that's sort of uh, an overview, I guess, of the Christian perspective on those three points. So let's just turn now and consider from a secular perspective uh, those questions. Right. So on secularism, there is no beyond. There is no other to look to. There's no eternity. There is no transcendence. There is only imminence. There is only the present struggle. There is only this life. Mm-hmm. So what is the inherent value or dignity or worth of a human being? Since, since there is no external agent to impart value, it can only be self-assigned or self-referential, which means at the end of the day that it's going to be arbitrary. There, there's nothing to anchor it to. There's no reference point that can inform our value judgments. And so the value of a human life is completely subjective. It's, it's whatever the person thinks it is, and, mm-hmm. and there's, there's nothing else to appeal to, really. So if my, if my friend decides that their suffering is too great and that they want to end their life, there's nothing for me to appeal to. I can disagree with them, of course, and try to convince them that my subjective viewpoint is better than their subjective viewpoint, uh, but th- there's nothing objective that I can point to in order to prove the inherent worth of their life uh, or the moral culpability involved in taking their own life, and and even that that argument, yeah, the the you could make your case that your subjective truth is better than their subjective truth. You're lining up that against what a subjective metric? Yeah, I'm that, trying to convince them that my subjective <laughs> truth is objective and that yeah, they should conform to it. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a weird. <laughs> rabbit trail of, well, which authority are we going to eventually go to? Anyway, go on. Yeah, without something external, morality itself is subjective or relative and just oscillates with the whims or the convictions of the individual. And I think, you know, which is why something was shocking 40 years ago and is now not as shocking because, you know, things have slid. The The metric by which we measure things being shocking has changed, right. <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah, and more individuals in society have accepted this way of doing things. Yeah. 
And so it, it's normalized. Yeah, normalizing. Yeah. Well, it doesn't affect me any, so why would I care? Yeah, and really, if it's normalized, then it's the moral thing, right? Yeah. There's there's no there's really nothing that measures morals. Collective morality is it's like an ocean. It's just floating around. <laughs> <laughs> Where you end up, who knows? <laughs> yeah, okay. So the second thing was whether there are fundamental limits to our freedom to exercise authority even over ourselves. Can we control death? Can we control our own death? Can we take the life of another person if they request it? Uh, Secularism is very concerned with consent these days because consent Mm -hmm. means power. If I consent to death, then death doesn't control me. On, On Christianity, we can talk about our dominion over creation, but we recognize that there are limiting factors. And, and that because we are made in the image of God, we cannot kill. We cannot destroy the image of God in another human being or in ourselves. But on secularism, there is nothing in principle that limits our dominion over the created order. So there's no reason that we can't extend it to other human beings and to matters of life and death. Yeah, it's, it's almost like we're, we're looking to ourselves as a god. And, you know, eating of that apple was, it actually did unleash something. (laughs) Right? Go figure. Yeah. Seems like somebody wrote a document about this. Anyway. (laughs) Um, So a phrase that I often hear associated with medical assistance in dying is dying with dignity. And really, I think what this phrase is communicating is a concept very similar to what we as Christians would mean by dominion. It speaks of our control over the created order. If we're dignified in this sense, then we're not subject to the currents of natural processes. We've raised ourselves above that, and we're capable of controlling it. We have power even over death. So we, we might not have a say in the inevitability of death, but by exercising our power over the timing of death, it at least gives us a feeling of control. And I mean, this is one of the reasons that I think a conversation about eugenics is not far removed from medical assistance in dying. Yeah. And before we get into that, have you ever watched a movie called Me Before You? I haven't. No. Uh, so it's uh, Sam Claflin. Uh, he was in Hunger Games, I think. Okay. Uh, anyway, he's in it and he is a paraplegic. And he wants to basically medical assist. It's in the UK and he wants to do this and his parents don't want him to. Anyway, they bring in this caregiver who is supposed to take care of him. And they think, well, maybe this caregiver will make him change his mind. Right. He had a very full life beforehand, very athletic. And yeah, anyway, she comes in and she, he's jerked to her. You know, it's, it's kind of a romantic comedy around this thing. Anyway, it was a it was a fascinating movie because the whole time you can tell that the the message that I think they were trying to get across is oh how dignified this is that he can take his life. Right. And how amazing that this is. But the whole movie felt like from my perspective anyway and my wife's as well, it felt like wow, they're actually making a really good case for not doing this. Right. Because she does turn him around and he has this you know, he had this full life before she starts doing and making his whole life very full and he's mentally all the way there and he was just depressed, 
but she like brings him back to life. He's having so much fun, but this date is looming in the distance and she falls in love with him and he falls in love with her. And eventually at the end of the movie, well, I won't give it away, but he dies. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, everybody. Uh, But, um, spoilers, spoilers. I should have said spoiler first, right? Oh, well. I don't, I don't know if a lot of people are going to watch the movie anyway, but I just, I found it fascinating. And he dies by medical assistance. Yes, he does. And, um, and it was his choice and it tears her apart. And, but he's just like, well, no, I want this control. Right. And it's, it seems so selfish him doing it. And I think to me at the end of the day, I was like, wow, that was actually like a, a big plus in the side of not doing it. Right. The whole movie. And yet at the same time, it felt like that's what they were trying to push is like, oh no, he, yay, he can control when he dies. And yeah. and it's right around, around what you're talking about. And I just, I found that very fascinating. Yeah. Uh, this, I think this, to have the power over your own death. Yeah. And people, people don't tend to like talking about quote unquote slippery slopes, but the reality is like, if there are no fundamental limits on our freedom to exercise authority, even over ourselves and even over these most central questions of life and death, then why wouldn't we go on to something like eugenics? Like where are the limiting principles? Why wouldn't we manipulate human beings and try to optimize the human experience? We do it with animals. We do selective breeding to produce, you know, faster horses or dogs that shed less or whatever. Why wouldn't we do that with humans without the ability to appeal to a higher authority There is no reason that we can't interfere with all of these natural processes in the name of optimizing them or reducing suffering or whatever. And the weird thing is, is that it happens all the time and people talk about it all the time. And, and, but if you start calling it for what it is, eugenics, you know, well, no, it's not eugenics. Yeah. It's like, well, well, we won't get down that road. I'll let you continue. (laughs) Um, so the last the last question that we were considering is suffering. On, on a secular worldview, how can we understand suffering? When all you have is the imminent order, the bare facts of creation, then there really is no future hope. There's, there's nothing beyond that we can look to that can impart meaning into the present. And so suffering is truly meaningless. It is pointless. It doesn't look beyond itself and manifest hope for something greater. It doesn't testify to the end of suffering and the coming reign of our Christ. It's just pure, pointless misery. And that's like the worst thing that we can think of. Pain with no hope whatsoever of redemption or healing. That's got to be like the greatest evil. And so to end suffering by any means is then seen as a good. And to allow someone to receive medical assistance in dying and even to facilitate it is, in fact, the compassionate thing to do. Maybe even something we should feel morally obligated to do. Yeah, and I think the slippery slope in this is when people start redefining suffering and where's the limit, right? Because, uh, you know, yeah, the Canada has these rules in place for suffering and, you know, a certain level of pain, which is subjective, right? They yep. can't hook someone up and say, well, you're, you're a nine out of 10. No, they ask a person, what are you at? And then what's to say, well, my suffering is, well, I don't make enough money. 
and so I'm suffering. Uh, you, you know, you look at 2015 stats in the UK for uh, suicide rates as compared to unemployment rates, and unemployment goes up, suicide rates go up. Right. And so they obviously are feeling suffering. I'm suffering because I'm not, I don't, I'm not working. I'm not making money. Now, anyway, I'm just trying to get the point across that suffering is the greatest evil, but it's like, well, what is suffering? What do you define that as? What do you define as evil even? Yeah. Both those things in, in secularism are kind of anchored into nothing. Yeah, yeah, they are. But when all you, again, when all you have is the, the imminent order, yeah, it's, well, this is bad right now, therefore it's evil, right? Like, yeah. I don't like this is really the definition of, of what evil becomes. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, you can't see any deeper meaning or significance to something like that. I think in my experience, this sort of line of thinking that um, it's the compassionate thing to do is the thing that causes the most amount of confusion for Christians, because who doesn't want to do the compassionate thing? Of course we do. Mm -hmm. Who doesn't want to put an end to suffering if it's in our power to do it? Of course we do. But I think, I mean, notice that by framing it as an act of compassion, secular society is assuming a shared Christian morality. They're smuggling in a Christian worldview in order to to anchor their view to something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting. And it's probably one of the things that adds to the confusion and and makes it difficult sometimes to navigate because compassion is a Christian virtue. Mm -hmm. Uh, But in this case, we have to see that it it has become untethered from Christian belief and Mm -hmm. from God himself. And so it doesn't really mean the same thing anymore. It's lost its reference points. It's lost its grounding. It's become hijacked so that something evil can masquerade as something good. Yeah, you, it's the it's this decoupling of virtues. G.K. Chesterton wrote in Orthodoxy, the modern world is not evil. In some ways, the modern world is far too good. It is full of wild and wasted virtues. When a religious scheme is shattered, as Christianity was shattered at the Reformation, it is not merely the vices that are let loose. The vices are indeed let loose, and they can wander and do damage. But the virtues are let loose also, and the virtues wander more wildly, and the virtues do more terrible damage. The modern world is full of the old Christian virtues gone mad. The virtues have gone mad because they have been isolated from each other and are wandering alone. Thus, some scientists care for truth, and for truth is pitiless. Thus, some humanitarians care only care for pity, and their pity, I am sorry to say, is often untruthful. And so this goes back to what you were talking about earlier, is like, well, you, like the, they, uh, apologists can say something true, but without like, these other, the other virtues attached to them, it just becomes hollow and and painful, right? Really, and 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 the same otherwise. Well, you can just have all the platitudes in the world, but without any truth, it's meaningless, right? Right? Yeah. Uh, so I, I like Chesterton. Yeah, he's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, he he has a few writings that are good, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> sarcasm. <laughs> They're all awesome. <laughs> yeah, I think it's easy for us to see why this line of thinking is compelling too though like 
if we come across the path of a suffering animal, uh, maybe a deer that's been hit by a vehicle or something like that, the humane thing, the Christian thing even to do is to end its suffering by putting it to death. And so in this case, we do see killing as an act of mercy or as an act of compassion, but it is never compassion in the biblical sense to take the life of another human being or to take our own life. I think it's it's just so easy to feel the tension on this and to be pulled into a compromised position because you know we want to protect the vulnerable, but it is really hard not to sympathize with the terminally ill that just want out. They just want to end their pain. And we agree that pain is bad and we can't even know the extent of their pain. We cannot actually know everything that they're going through on a day-to-day basis. And so it seems unfair for us to say that they are morally obligated to keep on living. But I think we must, like, like we have to do this because the discomfort and the confusion is not coming from the scriptures or from God or from our theology or from the traditions of the church. It's coming from the culture that is embedded in us. It's not just that we're in the culture, it's that the culture is in us. Mm-hmm. And and so this argument comes at us and it hits those pieces of us and that's why it feels forceful. But the truth is that every human being is precious in the sight of God. Every human being is made in his image and he has dominion over life and over death. You have to start from that premise. Right. Right. And I think as medical assistance in dying becomes more common in society, as it, it seems to be, that seems to be the trajectory of it, uh, I, I feel more and more compelled to stand more loudly against it. Because, I mean, we're already seeing that it isn't just affecting terminally ill patients that have knowingly consented to it, although that would be reason enough mm-hmm. to stand against it. But it, it's also expanding to people who have mental health issues and people that have treatable illnesses and more and more people, as you alluded to earlier, are feeling pressure. They're feeling coerced to receive medical assistance in dying because it's more economically beneficial for their families or even for the healthcare system. Medical assistance in dying has only been legal in Canada since 2016 And these kinds of things are already happening, and it's tragic. Mm -hmm. And I just think it's our Christian duty to stand against this, to protect the vulnerable people among us, and to advocate for life and for a natural end to life, to to leave death in the hands of God. Yeah, absolutely. it's, It's something that we have to, we have to stand on that. Well, I feel like, this was this is a pretty heavy topic. Uh, maybe we should. Would you pray? Indeed. <laughs> maybe before that, I think uh, maybe we could brainstorm a little bit about what are some practical things that people can do to get involved and to maybe stand up against medical assistance in dying. Oh, okay. Yeah, that sounds good. I didn't make a list or anything, but um, I mean, there are lots of pro-life organizations out there that people could get involved in. I think that that is uh, important. Uh, Obviously, the number one issue that those organizations are dealing with is abortion, uh, but most of them also do write about and talk about uh, medical assistance in dying. So those are good things to be a part of. 
I think too, I mean, I would say probably the most important thing is to establish some clarity on it for yourself yeah. and to advocate for life in your circles. Um, I think, as I've said a couple times, I think there's, there's just confusion about this. And, you know, there's a blurry line between pulling the plug and medical assistance and dying. And so uh, I'm not sure what that is. So I'm just not going to say anything or, geez, I don't want to be seen as being uncompassionate. So I'm not going to say anything about that. I'll just sort of live and let live or mm -hmm. live and let die, I suppose. But I think if we can come to some clarity on it, if you can research the issues for yourself and dig into the scriptures, then you can more confidently speak about it and advocate for life uh, to your friends and to your neighbors and to your, your family members uh, when those times come. Yeah. And I mean, we, we talked about the slippery slope. And there's other countries that have been doing it a lot longer than Canada. Uh, in, in Holland, they've been doing it for quite a while. And it, it's similar. We can tell when someone comes in and they have this, you know, illness. And they say, well, we can treat your illness or you could save yourself some money. And, right. And, you know, we can just end it now and save the pain and suffering. It's, you know, that, that compulsion or they're, it's not, they're not compelling you, but they're, you know, they're framing it in such a way that they don't really want to deal with it. They're not trying to dissuade you. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. so um, to look at those, look at those other countries, see how it's been abused. Try and find that stuff out. Become more informed to see that, that the slippery slope is, is actually there. And it's, it's, it's not a, it's not a hypothetical. It's actually happening yeah. to a certain extent in different places. Yeah. And so. I think too, anything that we can do to help serve the vulnerable people in our communities is, is going to be beneficial. Like you, you, you pointed out other countries, there are other countries that are celebrating the end of Down syndrome Yeah, what, in I, their countries. And I mean, Down syndrome is not treatable. You eradicate Down syndrome by eradicating people who have Down syndrome. Yeah. And so they're pre-screening and they're aborting mm -hmm. uh, any baby that has Down syndrome. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's not a thing to celebrate. Did we say eugenics earlier? But <laughs> I don't, yeah, anyway. Yeah, we did. <laughs> um, I mean, any way that you can get involved to help serve and advocate for the life and the personhood and the dignity of people who are vulnerable, I think is a good thing. And I mean, obviously, medical assistance in dying disproportionately affects our elderly. Mm -hmm. And so how can Christians model a love for our elderly? Maybe putting more resources into palliative care. And um, I think also just doing what we can, not only to care for the needs of the elderly, but to communicate that they're not a burden. Like, yeah. I think one of the downsides of even the conversation we've had today is it sort of tends to communicate that the only reason we're against medical assistance in dying is because it's morally wrong. And, and that's not even true. Like that's not the whole picture where right. we also love and value our elderly. Like white hair is a sign of wisdom and strength yeah. in the scriptures. And we need that now more Absolutely. than ever. And, and we, we also value their suffering and, and believe that it's meaningful and we'll mm -hmm. pray with them for the end of that suffering by whatever means uh, the Lord has. But, yeah, to, to affirm their personhood, their dignity, the, the meaning and value of their suffering, and to help them in, in any way that we can. I think those are really important things yeah. to do. Well, and walk, walk with them through it too, right? Yeah. Sometimes somebody just needs you there. Yeah. 
to cry with them and grieve with them and yeah grieving isn't a bad thing and i think i think our culture kind of shows that or maybe subvertly teaches that grieving is not a good thing that we should just you know positivity rules right right but grieving is a good thing and so much good can come from properly grieving and walking with someone through suffering and to see to to actually see the strength of the human and to see the strength of God in in people and to be able to walk that with people yeah i think that'd be a great way too is yeah that's good what else is there i don't know i wanted to ask you actually though um like you work at a college but your wife is a nurse yeah have you had conversations about this in your home or has it come up i mean you don't have to share this if you don't want to but uh it it yeah it has it it comes up and yeah and yeah. she has some interesting stories just beautiful beautiful stories of uh meeting people and meeting them where they're at and just the people who are obviously in tons of suffering who show such grace and closeness to God that is edifying to her. Yeah. And I think that's maybe one of the things that we we didn't really touch on is how when one person walks through suffering and how they walk through it can be can draw others closer to God as well and can be a, a testimony right to those that believe and don't believe and to share those stories. Uh, to share the stories of of our our grandparents, our grandfathers, our great grandfathers who did suffer, and how they walked it out, right? And how they they were able to show God's grace in that in those moments. Hmm. Yeah, and obviously, um, I have a tremendous respect for people who work in healthcare and um, are hands on helping people who are in the midst of suffering day in and day out. And so I think, you know, if there are Christians who are, you know, maybe younger and looking for what career could I get into that's going to help me to proclaim the gospel in word and in deed through mm-hmm. my actions and through my vocation, um, the healthcare industry is is something good to get into. God's in control, right? He, he is. Nothing goes without him, him seeing, and he wants wants our good. Indeed. Um, yeah, so let's wrap it up there, and maybe I'll close in prayer. So thanks for, for talking about this with me today, Tyler. And, uh, of course, for our listeners, as always, if you want to get in touch, you can uh, contact us at uh, missionarydistrict at gmail.com. Anything else that you wanted to add? No, I'm good. Thanks, Amos. All right, well, let's pray. Almighty God, thank you for sustaining us through every stage of life until our closing moments. Please draw near to all who are experiencing pain, serious disability, frailty, or illness, and along with those who care for them, grant them comfort, hope, and peace. Father of all compassion, please lift the spirits of all those who are suffering today. May they find your truth, love, and light in the midst of the darkness. Amen. Amen.